James chapter number 4. We're going to finish the chapter up here tonight. James chapter number 4. And we're going to be not too much longer in the book of James. James chapter number 4. And uh, we'll get there, get right into it tonight. James chapter number 4. Easy back there, Joe. Was that you checking the Laker game back there instead of... I've got a sensor back there that keeps you from doing that. So, And uh, i got to be careful what I say with those things. I get you. In, I get people in trouble by saying that you're watching sports. Joe was all paranoid last week. He said he was just listening to see if the how it sounded on YouTube and Facebook is what he said he was doing. But I don't know. But I'll trust you, Joe. That's all right. So James chapter number four, and we'll dive in tonight. I read a book probably a couple of years ago, and uh, my book my. I've been, I do more reading now than I used to do, which is pretty good for me. You know, I was never, I've never liked reading. It's never been my favorite thing. How many of you like to read? How many of you don't like to read? I know how you guys feel, okay? It's never been my thing. I like to listen. Are you sure you like to listen? I, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So you like to listen to books. Do you talk back to the books? Okay, just making sure. So, um... And so when, uh, so I like to read more now, which is good. And being a pastor, you should like to, and don't get me wrong, I've always loved to read the Bible, okay, spiritually, yes. And I love, I love having, having it read to me. I like those apps where I can have it read. You can use some of those deep, dramatic voices reading through, talking about the different things in the Word of God and all of that. But um, I read a book, The Christian Atheist by um, Craig Rochelle, and the book was basically the question the book proposed was this, believing in God, but living as if he doesn't exist. So this is the beginning of his book, and, and I've listened, some of, well, some of his books I like to do the audible books, because, but his is funny, he, he reads his own audible book, and uh, other people don't always do that, but he does, and Craig Rochelle, he's, he pastors Life Church, I think, but he's, uh, he does a lot of leadership training and a lot of good things. But this is out of the beginning of the book. Hi, my name is Craig Rochelle, and I am a Christian atheist. For as long as I can remember, I believed in God, but I haven't always lived like he exists. You might think it's odd for a pastor to struggle with living like there is no God. However, in my corner of the world, Christian atheism is a fast-spreading spiritual pandemic, which can poison, sicken, and even kill, kill eternally. Yet Christian atheism is extremely difficult to recognize, especially by those who are infected. We're going to see in our passage of Scripture tonight how common it is for Christians to be infected with self-centered sickness. We focus too much on ourselves. And if you look at Christianity today, I think it describes Christianity to a T, self-promotion, self-centeredness. And that's never how God intended it to be. We look, and let me ask you this question as we dive into the message tonight. Are you living your life as if there is no God? Pastor, I'm a Christian. Let me ask you the question again. Are you living your life as if there is no God? Look at James chapter number four, verse number 13. We'll read through, verse, through the end of the chapter here. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, 
They'll go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. That's some pretty strong language right here. We look back at verse number 15, it says, For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. And look at 16, but now ye rejoice in your boastings. Your boastings that leave God out. And James says, all that rejoicing in what you're going to do and how you're going to live your life apart from God, it's evil for a Christian to talk that way, to think that way. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have tonight. I pray that you would help us. We need you. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being our God. And help us tonight get the message. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Are you living your life as if there is no God? Getting spiritually fit, how to live in light of eternity. Let's go right in and look at the passage here, and we'll see some symptoms of the disease that a lot of us have. Verse 13, go to now ye that say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. This person is making plans without any regard for God and his purpose. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy, I'm going to sell, I'm going to do it this way. You notice the phrase right at the beginning there doesn't sound like something we would say often, go to now. Anybody use that phrase lately? Go to now. We don't use that very often. You look at chapter 5 of James, verse number 1. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your misery that shall come upon you. Go to now, it's a tense and blunt way of saying, listen up and pay attention. That's what he's trying to say here. Hey, Christian, go to, listen up, pay attention. James, as we get into this here, is addressing business people of the day. In James' day, merchants would gather goods and products from one city and travel to a distant city and sell the things that he had gotten from that other city. So let's just say we're in Chino, and what's something that's, is there anything special, any food that's special to Chino? Is there really that we could go to Ontario that anybody would want in Ontario? Probably wouldn't work that well. Maybe we do like states, you know. We, we, we're in California, and we take In-N-Out Burger to those that live in New York. They would want that, right? Because In-N-Out Burger, and they're like, what is that special? It's a good burger. How many of you like In-N-Out? How many of you think it's overrated? Would you raise your hand? You can come to the altar tonight and get right with God. They have Bible verses underneath their stuff. If they got Bible verses there, it can't be overrated, right? But what they would do is they would go town to town, and whatever town they were in, they would sell the stuff they had collected from the other town. That way the people didn't have to go back and forth. They were doing all the middle work for them. Then when they're in this city, they would sell all that they had, and they would go buy again all the things from this city, go to another city, and sell all that stuff that they had. And that's how it worked for them. They'd go back and forth, and they sold their goods, and they got profit from it. And the profits they got, they'd buy more products and continue the process. These business people had a solid business plan. They had a, they had, anything about this, they had a place, they had a program, and they had a purpose. 
it seemed like that these people had everything figured out how it was going to work. But they left one thing out. You look at the phrase there, it says, ye that say, who say you, is a present tense. That's basically, ye that say is like, who say you, is a present tense, meaning that these kinds of things happen, were happening all the time. Look at what it says here. When were they going to do this? Today or tomorrow? Where? In this city, such city here. How long? About a year. And what? They were going to buy, trade, and sell. Get gain, make a profit. You see the when, the where, the how long, the what. But they left out a very important detail in their plans. They left out the who. They were self-absorbed, self-assured, self-confident, self-sufficient, self-indulgent, and self-centered. You notice what they say, we will go, as if nothing's going to stop them from doing these business transactions. In all their planning, they leave God out. Basically, what they say is, this is what we're going to do here and here and here and here, and this is how we're going to do it, this is when we're going to do it, and this is what's going to happen because of it. Kind of sounds similar to what Satan said in Isaiah chapter number 14. The I wills that he spoke. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Church, making plans and planning things out is a good thing. And it's good to be prepared and to have a plan. But may I just remind you, planning without acknowledging the Almighty is presuming that everything's just going to work out okay. And it's all, you realize, does everything go according to plan? No. They left God out. James then gives us five directives to heal our self-centeredness. I want to give these to you tonight. These people were self-centered, focused on their things. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it, leaving God out of the picture completely. Let me give you five thoughts tonight. We'll be done. Number one, admit ignorance of the future. Listen to the first part of verse 14. After James goes through that verse, the first part of verse 14 says, Whereas ye know not... What shall be on the morrow? We don't know what's going to happen later on tonight. How do we know that we're going to go buy and sell and do everything tomorrow? We don't. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. How can we plan ahead when we don't know? Proverbs 27, 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. We don't know what's going to happen. How can we, and you say, well, if I don't know, I just won't plan. That's not what this passage is talking about. We'll talk about it a little bit deeper in a few minutes. But these people, had a, they had their plans. They, this is what we are going to do. First thing we've got to realize is this. We've got to admit ignorance of the future. We don't know what's going to happen later on tonight. You think you know, but you don't know. 
Yesterday is called the past because it's already past, and tomorrow is not here yet. Remember hearing someone say it like this, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery. And today is a gift, and that's why it is called the present. It's good we don't know the future, isn't it? Because then we would worry, because oh, something bad's going to happen at 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. I'm glad I don't know the future. Because all I would do is worry, oh no, it's coming, it's coming, it's almost time, it's going to happen right now. You should be glad you don't know what the future holds. That the Lord knows these things. If you knew tomorrow would bring you prosperity, you would get mighty proud. Hey, look what's going to happen to me tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to bring you misery. You'd likely fall into despair. The Bible talked about the rich fool made plans he thought that would give him security for the rest of his life, but he woke up in hell. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Verse here tells us, the beginning of verse number 14 there, let us know, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. Live life as if today is the last day you're ever going to live. Give God your very best today, because you don't know that you have tomorrow. Give your family your very best today. You might not have tomorrow. Preach your heart out every time you get to. You never know if it's going to be the last time you ever do it. You see, we look at this passage of Scripture, and if we're going to live in light of eternity, the first point is this. we got to admit ignorance of the future. We don't know what's going to happen. Number two, acknowledge the brevity of life. Life is not only uncertain, life is short. We see this the second half of verse 14 there. Look what it says there. It says, For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. John Phillips paraphrased it this way and said this, You are like a puff of smoke, visible for a little while and dissolving into the air. I wonder if James borrowed this from Job in Job 7-9 as the cloud is consumed and vanishes away. Life is short. You know, we look in the room and those that are the oldest in here, Russ, I think, tonight. No, Margie. Margie's back there. Margie, Margie is the youngest one in here tonight, right, Margie? But Margie, you're in your, you're in your 80s. We'll leave it at that. 82. Has life gone slow or fast? Life goes pretty fast. That's what the Bible's talking about here. The Greek for vapor is atmos, and it's where we get the word for atmosphere. And James is thinking of the morning mist that appears for a little while on the Mediterranean there and then goes away when the sun comes up. Or if you drive around here, you drive on Euclid, this past week there were a couple days where there was just a little bit of mist there, and a li- but a little bit of sun, it just dries up pretty quick. That's what life is. Life is short. Have you ever thought of your life as fragile as the mist? You're here one moment and gone the next. 
even if you live to be a hundred, time goes by quickly and like vanishing steam from a hot cup of coffee, you'll eventually evaporate from the earth. That's what life is. Someone put it this way. You say, Pastor, you're being a little, uh, not, you're not being real encouraging tonight. Here's some insight. The moment a man is born, he begins to die. And death could come at any time. By design, disease, disaster, or decay. Man is not here to stay. He is here to go. Psalms has several verses for us about the length of life. The Bible tells us in Psalms 39.5, Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Psalm 78, verse number 39, For he remembereth that we are but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. Psalm 89, verse number 47, remember how short my time is. Psalm 90, verse number 10, the days of the years are threescore and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is the strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Psalm 102, verse number 3, for my days are consumed like smoke. Psalm 144, verse 4, man is like to vanity. His days are as a shadow that passeth away. And so often we think today we live in the land of the living, right? And when we die, we go to the land of the dead. But I think we have that opposite. This is the land of the dead, and heaven's the land of the living. That's the truth of it. And when our life here is over, and as we look at it, life is short. Death is sure because of sin. The cause, Christ, he's our cure, and we can have a home in heaven. May I just remind you tonight, brothers and sisters here tonight, that life is too uncertain and too short to live without God at the center of it. We count our lives in years, but God tells us in Psalm 90, verse number 12, to number our days. David said like this in 1 Samuel 20, verse number 3, But truly as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. To not be 100% ready for something is 100% certain, is 100% foolishness. And you can know the Lord, and I'm thankful for that. But you got to understand something tonight. Life is short. People just don't, we look. I love something our president said the other day. Don't let COVID make you live in fear. Do you realize something? Death, it's coming for all of us. And may I just remind you of something tonight as a Christian. There are still far too many Christians that are too fearful when they shouldn't be. If you believe in God, and you believe that he saved you, and you believe that he's real, that his promises are real, guess what? He already knows when it's my time to expire here on earth. 
you realize there is nothing, nothing I can do to change that. When it's my time, it's my time. Now, you could, you know, you say, well, then if that's the way it is, then I don't worry about anything. I'll eat anything I want, do anything, and, you know, go, Pastor, if it's that way, why do you lose weight? Because I would like to be an old man that can walk around still, okay? You add 90 pounds more, and my joints are going to wear out faster. I would like to still be shuffling along up here at 80 years old. I would still like to be able to do that. Is that going to happen? Who knows? I don't know what tomorrow holds. But we live, we got to understand something. As a Christian, we should not fear that. I'm getting some weird looks at me tonight. Do you trust God or not? Then live like it. Trust him. He knows when our time comes. It's already settled. I guess I'll get off that because. Number one tonight, we've got to admit ignorance of the future. Number two, acknowledge how short life is. Number three, align yourself with God's will. James does this here in this passage, and he goes on to say in verse number 15, for that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. We see that he's calling them to move from their ignorance, ignorant independence to enter intentional dependence upon God. You see that little word, if, makes all the difference. I will go buy and sell if that's what God wants me to do. If that's the Lord's will. You see how James is trying to change their thinking just a little bit? Instead of, we're going to do this, and we're going to live life this way, and do it this, and all these things are going to happen, James is saying, no, 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 no. You don't know what's going to come tomorrow. Life is short. You don't know those things. It would be much better for you, Christian, to look at things through the Lord's eyes and say, if God wants me to, this is what I'll do. And if the Lord wants it, if it's his will, this is how I will live. That's what we see before us here. Um, Warren Worsby was speaking at a youth conference, and a teenager remarked and said, I would give my life to the Lord, but I'm afraid. When he asked about her fear, she answered, I'm afraid he'll ask me to do something dangerous. And Worsby wisely responded, and listen to these words, the dangerous life is not in the will of God, but out of the will of God. The safest place in the world is right where God wants you to be. No amount of money, no amount of influence, power, planning can guarantee you tomorrow. Only God can grant us another day to live for him. David said it in Psalm 31, verse number 15, my times are in thy hand. We need to be like the, and as we look at these things, we need to be like Paul. Paul expressed this attitude himself. Look at what he said in Acts 18, verse 21. But I will return again unto you if the Lord wills. This is Paul saying this. 1 Corinthians 4, verse number 19. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. Do you see how Paul lived his life? Hey, if this is what God wants, this will happen.
happen. And then 1 Corinthians 16, verse number 7, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit it. That doesn't mean that you must always declare if the Lord wills with everything that you say you're going to do. Because Paul didn't always do that. Romans 15, verse number 28. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. 1 Corinthians 16, 15. Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia. You don't see him say there, if the Lord wills. But you can see by the way Paul lived his life that that was Paul's attitude. He trusted God. God was the center of his life. And instead of saying, hey, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to live my life this way, and I'm going to do things this way. No, 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 no. If God wants me to do this, I'll do this if the Lord wills. It's just a changing of your mind. Instead of centering on self, it goes back to the model prayer, right? Thy will be done. That's the way a Christian should live. It's not wrong to make plans, but we must make sure that our plans line up with God's purposes. Proverbs 19.21, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. If we're going to make sure that we live as if this is the last day of our lives, we've got to admit ignorance about the future. We've got to acknowledge the shortness of life, the brevity of life. We've got to align with God's will. And then our next directive is to avoid arrogance. Avoid arrogance. Look at verse number 16. You've got to understand something. According to verse 16, God does what he chooses in my life. Therefore, I must accept what he chooses to do. It says, but now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. The word boastings means to exalt oneself higher than God. If we, if we plan without aligning our plans with God and what he has for us, we become evil is what that says right there. I think Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 6, your glory is not good. We might call ourselves Christ followers, but by leaving God out of our lives, we act like an atheist. Boasting is evil because we're defying and doing it on our own. But church, one of the things we got to understand, that's what Christianity is full of today. It's like Nebuchadnezzar. In the book of Daniel, chapter number 4, verse number 30, the Bible tells us, listen to, what, listen to what Nebuchadnezzar said. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by my might, of my power, for my honor, and my majesty? And he ate grass the rest of his life and turned into a wild beast because he didn't do anything. God raised him up. God set him up. But he was self-centered. And don't we do that often? I've gotten to this position in life because of what I've done. Well, you've gotten where you're at because of what God's done in your life. 
We cannot leave God out of these things. We got to avoid arrogance. Charles Spurgeon's advice for conquering pride was this. Are you ready? You might want to write these down. Three steps to um, conquering pride. Number one, embrace your nothingness. Embrace your nothingness. Be not proud of race, face, place, or grace. Embrace your nothingness. Number two, embrace Christ. Pride cannot live beneath the cross. So embrace your nothingness, embrace Christ, Christ, and embrace suffering. The benefit of the furnace is it melts, tries, and purifies. All you got to do is look around Christianity today. All you got to do is look on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, anywhere of Christians, and you'll see how self-centered spiritually we are. Someone has said many Christians are following therapeutic, moralistic deism. An example of this was just a year ago. One of the best-selling Christian books is called Girl, Stop Apologizing, A Shame-Free Plan for Embracing and and Achieving Your Goals. This book was number two on the Amazon charts book, Christian book list, and number one of the publisher's weekly list in 2018. Anybody ever read that book? Okay, I don't suggest you do. And um, it, someone wrote some, a review about it. And so there was, uh, the review was titled, Girl, Just Follow Jesus. That was the review about it. Rachel Hollis is the one who wrote the book, and this is some of the writing in the book. Rachel Hollis wants you to believe in yourself, to take great pride in your hard work and accomplishments, and to do so without shame and without gusto. She wants you to go hard and unapologetically after your dreams. Here's a quote from page 83. All that really matters is how bad you want those dreams and what you're willing to do to make them happen. For Hollis, a professing Christian, salvation is found in ourselves. The real you is destined for something more, your version of more. That is who you were to be, made to be. And the first step to making that vision a reality is to stop apologizing for having the dreams in the first place. It's time to become who you were made to be. And she says this, first learn to love yourself well and give yourself credit, then reach for more. She encourages readers to pick 10 goals, write them out every day, and meditate on the future vision we have of ourselves in order to get our subconscious involved. An example of one of her goals is, she will, one of her own goals was, I will only fly first class. That was one of her goals. I've never flown first class. We get to sometime soon. We're going to see what that's like. And I've, I've always flied low class. That's been mine, you know. Southwest, they don't even give you a seat number. You just, beg, if there's a seat left, get that seat. A, B, or C boarding, you know. That's my flying. The lady who wrote the review of that book, she says this, becoming the woman we are created to be means following Jesus, believing in Jesus, living for Jesus, and not ourselves. 
We were made to be more than self-made. We are God-made, God-rescued, God-loved. Only as we orient our lives and dreams around him will we experience true and lasting joy. Girl, let's start with an apology. Let's turn from a self-centered way of life to a Jesus-focused way of life and therein find true life. For it's in him, not in ourselves, that we find the path of life, the fullness of joy, and pleasures forevermore. But we live in a day and age where our Christianity is very self-centered. That's not how it's supposed to be. And boasting on self and building up self and focusing on those things, it's evil, the Bible says. No, don't boast on self. We're supposed to build him up, lift him up in our lives. And we get to the last verse, and we all know this verse. It's one of the ones I learned as a kid at a young age. I think it's one I wrote out many times. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Very interesting verse. Basically, you could say it like this. God, I know what you want me to do, but I'm not going to do it because I know better than you. That's sin. When we know what's right and we don't do it, some of us think to ourselves, we've never really done anything bad, so we're good to go. But the truth of the matter is, maybe you haven't done awful things, but the truth is, there are times that we can sin by doing nothing. Edmund Burke's the one who said, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is what? For good men to do nothing. James is addressing, and you could, we go back and forth, the sins of commission and omission, and go back and forth with those things there. And James is addressing the sin of omission here which results from failing to do something God's word commands us to do. You might, do not, you might say, well, sin of commission. Those are the sins, the active sins I commit, okay? I'm not going to give you a deep, detailed lesson on it tonight. But the sins of omission would be something we know that we should do that we don't do. Let me give you an example. Should you read your Bible? Does the Bible say you should? Yes. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So if you do nothing with the word of God and you know it's good to do, it's sin in your life. Should we pray? Yeah, I, th I would say so. I think the Bible says that. So when we don't and we know that we should, Say, but I didn't do anything. That's the problem. <laughs> when you know to do good and you don't do it, it's sin. We can carry that further. We know that we should be giving to the Lord, right? Tithing, giving to the Lord, however you want to word it. And when you don't do it, what is that? Oh, let's not talk about that. We'll, we'll leave that one out. There's a young boy who was in his Sunday school class, and they asked him if he knew the difference between the sin of commission or the sin of omission. That's why he said, Sins of commission, he said, are sins that I've already committed, and sins of omission are the sins we haven't gotten around to yet. No, that wasn't quite 
What? That's not quite what those are. The Bible says, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. The best way to deal, and that's number five. Did I give you number five? I was going through it without even giving it to you. Act in obedience. Act in obedience. The best way to deal with the future. Hey, are you ready? If you get nothing, get this night. The best way to act towards the future is to be faithful today. Hey, you can't go back and change yesterday. Because all of us would. We'd change a lot of things that we do. And hindsight's always 2020, right? You've heard that. Man, I would have done this this way or done that. Yeah, because you can look back at it. But you don't live in the past, and we don't live in the future. We live in today. Be faithful to God today. Do what he tells you to do today. Now, I try to teach my kids, is delayed obedience, is that obedience? Delayed obedience? No. Obedience is doing it right away with the right attitude. And I try and press that into my children. Because you can, fine, I'll go clean my room. Oh, oh. I clean my room. Look at that attitude. Is that obedience? No. Or, go clean your room. Touchdown. Yeah, Madden. Woo. Dad, I'll do it in a minute. Is that obedience? No. Do you have any delayed obedience in your life with God? Do you know what God wants you to do? And are you doing it? It says, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, that's sin in our lives. We need to do what God tells us to do. Have you been delaying? Five points as we live life. Admit ignorance of the future. Acknowledge the brevity of life. Align yourself with God's will. Avoid arrogance. Act in obedience. You don't know how, many, how much more life you have. How much more life you have. You ever, have you ever just stopped and thought about it that way? You know, I've got some great plans in life overall. I can't wait to see my kids grow up and to, and to have grandkids someday. Or I don't have to raise them. They can come visit me. I can give them all the candy and all the stuff I want. And then they get to go home with mom and dad, and they're not my problem. I look forward to that day. That's, that sounds like fun to me. I can't, that day is going to be fun. But what if I don't get to live that long? I really don't know. How many people do I know in the middle of the night have a heart attack and they're gone? You got exactly completely healthy and it happens. That's why I give God your very best today. Live for Him today. And I'm not telling you to go home and worry if you're going to wake up tomorrow morning or not, because only God knows those things. But, you know, sometimes we tell ourselves, man, I got so much I need to teach my kids. Well, the longer I put it off, it probably will never happen. I need to do it today. I hear Christians, I'll start living for God next week. 
you know, my dad, a famous saying growing up. It'd be in the evening or something, he'd want something, he'd Dad, I'll take care of it tomorrow. A famous saying, I just picture him telling me, Brian, tomorrow never gets here. It's always tomorrow. Live in light of eternity. We don't know what our future holds. Put God at the center of your life. Let him be in the center. And hey, get some plans together. But if that's what God wants, those are what I want. If that's not what God wants, I don't want those plans for my life. I want to live my life and let him be in control. My life's short. It's amazing. In uh, two weeks, I've been pastor here 10 years. It seems like yesterday they had the cake downstairs welcoming me as the pastor here. It seems like yesterday, now it's 10 years. If I'm blessed and the Lord allows me to pastor 50 years, I don't know if he will. I'm one-fifth of the way done. 20% already. If I get to live, you know, the Bible talks about, we read earlier, 70 years. If you're blessed, 80. I'm halfway to 70. I know some of you are like, oh, you're young. I am, I get it. But we don't know how much time we have. Live for God today. Put him first today. Don't wait for tomorrow. Don't build your own kingdom. Build his kingdom. Put him first. Don't boast about what you're going to do. Boast on him and what he's done in your life. Because when we know the good that we're supposed to do, and we don't do it, it's sin. When we boast and rejoice in our plans that God's not a part of, it's evil. Make God the center of your life. If you want to be spiritually fit, get God in the center of your life. Let him control. Let him lead. Let him do those things.